a second. <laughs> Hello, good evening. It is six o'clock at Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight, which means it's movie time. Yay! My name is Tosin. I am your host for the evening. And for the next hour or so, we are going to be going back in time, going pre-1980, having a look at wonderful movies that they just don't make like they used to anymore, hence the name of our show. They do not make them like they used to. With me in the studio is Sean. Hiya. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You ready for an hour going through, like, you know, the goal that Hollywood has given us over the years? Of course, of course. Yep, always. Yeah, I would like to say hello and a welcome to everybody in the hospital and especially a special welcome to Karen in Alveston Ward, who was such a trooper. It was so nice to actually speak to me earlier today and talk to me about a film that she saw quite early on in her life so we have a facebook page here and they don't make them like they used to and we have put something up on the facebook page asking people to let us know films that they think that we should talk about films that they think hey like this is actually a great film and they should let us know whether it's a classic or whether it's actually like you know a hidden gem a film that they think has not been given the the due that is required of this film and a, and a friend of the show, Glenn, got in touch and he actually, he suggested this film. And Glenn, I want to say thank you so much. Was actually going to record you last night as just telling you, giving us your view on the film. But unfortunately, wasn't able to make it. I wasn't able to record you. But you chose what, uh, well, what I am very well assured is a cracker of a movie. Because quite frankly, it's one of those films that yet again, I haven't seen. So... Sean, can you tell us what film Glenn chose for us? Um, the film that Glenn's chose for us is... Um it's called Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock. So now, okay, so Brighton Rock, from Brighton Rock, we have some music, and this is the theme from Brighton Rock by Hans May. Now, if we're going to talk about things they don't make like they used to, I mean, that kind of score is definitely something they don't make like that anymore. They don't make them like that. No, no, it's no. just kind of like, you know, that big da, 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 da. Even, I mean, even uh, because Brighton Rock isn't like an epic. It isn't like a Ben-Hur or anything like that. But that music wouldn't be out of place in something like a Ben-Hur. You, you could put it, yeah, you could put it in a sword and sandal epic, couldn't you, quite easily, you know, like yeah. some laboring scene of, of <laughs> the desert. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, just, it's just one of those things. I think it's just the way they did, but that was how and that's just the way they did film scores in that time that was what a film score sounded like and even that makes me want to get the popcorn out and sit down in front of a tv on a sunday afternoon to be totally honest <laughs> with you but so brighton rock sean uh, out of the two of us in the studio you're the one who has seen this movie it was a long time ago um and and it was on tv but it's one of those real atmospheric british films and it's shot in black and white which mm-hmm. i think for a film of this type if a film's shot in black and white it gives it so much atmosphere i think yeah. you know and it, and it can look very threatening you know that, that film noir type of thing with shadows and and people hiding in shadows and everything um yeah a really really good watch because richard attenborough um you're probably going to talk a bit about him i want to say a little bit about with yeah. richard attenborough yeah but with richard on. attenborough in this particular part normally he played in some of the movies like the war war films he he played a a young sort of cowardly soldier or sailor or whatever yeah. he was he was quite you know naive but in this he's a really really nasty piece of work 
yeah, carry George, on. George, you want me to carry on? Yeah, carry on. Yeah. So, do you want to know about the story? The yeah, story. Yeah, okay. Give us a bit about the story. Okay. So, basically, Pinky's, he's, he, he runs a protection racket, and so he collects money, and, and he commits a murder at a race course. And the police sort of think it's suicide, so they don't investigate it. But there's one person, and he likes, you know, they sort of think, yeah, well, it's a murder. And the more they look at it, the more it's a murder. And all the time, Pinky's trying to get away with it, you know, different things. And he's killing yeah. people. And, yeah. and there's They're other trying, mobs trying to, trying to like take a, over his like racket. Cover up. Yeah, like a cover-up sort of thing. And But he becomes more and more extreme. And, and I think in this, because he's got a lovely scar down his face, mm. he's, he's a real nasty... He's a character... That I think he plays a character that you don't like, you can't sympathise with, you can't... Well, that's my opinion. But, yeah. uh, you know, I just don't think you can sympathise him. Whereas another one, say, a role... I think he was in a... He played a sailor in one film. can't remember which one it was. And he's like, oh... You know, he's like a real... Yeah. sort of cowardly but, character but he, he has something that you might look at you, you might actually yeah. go you might actually go oh actually I, I can see I can see what the yeah. problem is I mean so, some guys don't don't you know they they might be big and they might because he's not big he's sort of quite small and that, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. very very menacing you know well, because that's the thing because obviously as, as I said I haven't seen it but everything I've heard I've heard loads about this film so you know about Pinky you know about the scar on his face and you know about like the quite sort of almost abusive relationship he has yeah, with his girlfriend. Yeah, there's that. that. And, and it, it seems like it's Richard Attenborough's D- James Cagney movie, if you get yeah, what I mean. Yeah, that's a good, good observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good, bit like, a bit like yeah. his white heat. Because I don't think he ever did any other character like this. Because one of the... Well, I was telling you earlier that Richard Attenborough, I heard about him, essentially. I, I never heard of him much as a young actor. I heard about him... First time I saw him was Jurassic Park. And that's what I heard. And, I, and people... and. Even when Jurassic Park was released, I remember people were like, oh, my word, it's Richard Attenborough. They got Richard yeah, Attenborough. Yeah. And I was like, who is this guy? Why is everybody talking about it like it's a big deal that they've got Richard Attenborough in this film? And it was only later when I started finding out about his his uh, things and realizing that as a young boy, he was actually quite a bit of a... He, he had the looks of a matinee idol. I think <sighs> especially in Brighton Rock, it's kind of like whenever you see the shots of his face and everything, you're thinking, oh, my word, he was one beautiful young man. But he didn't seem to choose roles that would put him in that matinee idol sort of mold. He seemed yeah. to sort of like... Because apart from this, I know when he died last year, there were a lot of people were talking about his films and his films are on TV and they showed 10 relenting plays. Oh, yeah, Christy. Yeah. That another... See, yeah. those black and white films, they really... Oh, no. The, that wasn't actually black and white. I think it might have been originally, was it? Was no? it? Okay, the well, one I saw was colour. They, well, they had, it had John I, I know they do colour in some black and white films, but right. um, perhaps it was colour. But I just remember... I mean that's 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 a great film because he's got the small glasses. Yeah, he's got the know? tiny glasses. And he's, he's got the he's bald like the head. And I then... always perhaps it is colour, but I remember it's black and white, isn't that well, funny? No, maybe I think he wasn't a policeman in this one. He, no, he was Christie in in Ten Rillington Place. Ten Rillington Place. Yeah, yeah, that was Christie, wasn't it? Well, no, it he was, was like a part-time policeman. He was like a special special policeman. He was a landlord. And John Hurt comes and stays in his yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, oh, I can't remember John what Hurt. Was. Yeah, yeah, that's... But, sorry. But yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, confusion about Richard Attenborough. So. No, no, I'm sure, I'm sure he's... Uh, because that was where... Because John Hurt goes goes to Wales, doesn't he? And he gets... Yeah, and then, um, it, yeah, yeah. And then in the yeah. end, something happens with the child. Yeah, he did. Like, uh, Christie was a part-time policeman. Oh, 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 because it's based on a real story. It's based on a real story, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm thinking something like that wasn't that long after Brighton Rock. 
as in ju- just, but he he sort of like totally changes appearance. Changes the character, yeah, he, he is, does indeed. He, he he in that he shows up as a very very sort of like older man who is balding, is a, a little bit sort of you know the kind of person who lives on his own and nobody really knows much about him. And then you look at him and look at him as Pinky, and it just seems like a totally different thing. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, a good transformation. He's again in that he's very very menacing, but because he was a um, part-time policeman at the time and i think there's a court scene you know he was sort of believed a lot because yeah. it's based on the true story yeah yeah and um yeah i always used to watch those 10 rington plays and the acid bath <laughs> murderers because that time in like 40s 50s in britain it was still really austere and really well almost black and white you could say in real life, in real life i think yeah yeah, yeah yeah there wasn't much money to throw around to make no. a lot of color no but, that's it so with this i mean obviously it's called brighton rock it's set in Brighton, is it? Yeah. And also, when you think about Brighton, you don't really think of Brighton as a place for, like, you know, a protection racket and, like, and hoodlums and people with scars on their faces punching each other up or anything like that. <laughs> so, so I mean, did, do they make a big deal about the fact that this is Brighton or...? Not really. I think it's just, just the area it takes place in because, I mean, Brighton was the major, major holiday destination for everybody from London because mm-hmm. it's like an hour straight down there. So yeah. there, there'd be lots of stuff going on. Um, and yeah, it was quite a big during that time. It was quite a big, big area, and there was a lot going on. I mean, even now it's huge, isn't it? Even modern day, it's oh, yeah, huge no, now. Well, well, I think it's changed a bit, but it seems that yeah. because you were talking about the fact that they made a remake of this film. Yes, yeah, and I liked the remake. A lot of people didn't, but yeah. I quite liked the remake. Well, I, th- I think it's one of these things because, I, of, well, as I said, I mean, Brighton Rock just seems to be it's it's held in such reverence. Esteem. Yeah, such yeah. reference, such esteem as just one of this is one of those big, massive, classic British movies. I mean, you were talking on the show a couple of weeks ago about how, yeah, no, talking about classic British movies. You were talking mainly about the sixties, but I think it's the fact that because you don't have that many, well, compared to Hollywood, like a classic British movie is not really is not really a thing, and a film that's homegrown is ours. It's all that, and it's and then you go and make a remake of it. Which which was in color, and they changed the time period, which which I personally thought was quite an interesting thing to do. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was quite good. That was that was the remake. It was interesting, wasn't it? Mods and rockers. Yeah, so, you know, the sixties. So so they brought up to date, and I think it worked from a personal point of view. But I know a lot of critics; they weren't particularly keen on, um, you know, on it. <laughs> I think I think you could be right. It could have been color because it was 10 71 or oh, you mean 10 Riddington Place yeah okay yeah, oh, yeah. that was that was well after yeah it. yeah yeah he did not look that different 10 Riddington Place 71 he did not oh, Richard Attenborough did not did he like ever age he couldn't have done could he he, he did not look that different I mean, <laughs> well he didn't look that old in 10 Riddington, but that's like almost 20 years yeah, apart you know see I always I mean it's been a long time since I've seen it but I always remembered that Probably used to being in the same sort of time era as, as, as Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock. Yeah, well, not long after, but uh, I didn't realise it was, perhaps it was still uh, still a bit of a, you know, sore point sort of thing. Oh, okay, actually, oh, wait, I got something, man. You've got a, you've got a quiz for me, right? But could you, can you have a guess at what this film was called when it was released in America? What, Brighton Rock? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I can't think what it would be. It would be called like, uh, I don't know. Protection or something like that. Protection racket. I don't know. No, murder. no, 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 no. Carry on. It wasn't Brighton Rock. Was it? <laughs> it wasn't called Brighton Rock. I think. Was it called? I, I think I in in America that wouldn't have meant Atlantic, anything. Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> good, good guess, man. Good guess. It was actually called Young Scarface. Young Scarface. Yeah. Whoa, there's a bit of trivia. Yeah, the film was called Young Scarface. <laughs> it was released in this. In, in. All right, but anyway, Sean. 
Final words. What would you say, Brighton Rock? Why is it, why such a classic? Why so revered? I think it's just that it's it's really really atmospheric. The cinematography is great, being black and white, mm-hmm. um, and and it's got a lot of menace to it, and a, and it's a real really really good thriller. You know, with things go on, it's it's really tense in moments. So, and it's one of those films that you you just watch and really enjoy. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a great movie. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Okay, and now, now we have we welcome back a, a feature to the show which we haven't done for a while. We okay, Sean? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're, we're good. good. I, I, I think I, I can remember it from what I've. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 No, no, bro, we have a yep. feature. We usually have some like you know nice foreboding music playing right now, but unfortunately we haven't quite got the music up because we couldn't find it. Seeing as it's been such a long time since we've done this thing, but it's a quiz. And what Sean's going to do is he's going to give four clues during this show. Four clues that um which which points to the identity of a movie legend or a screen legend and we have to try and figure out what it is but before the end of the show so sean would you like to kick us with off with the first clue have we got any music this time or uh, <laughs> we'll no no to... no no okay. music we'll, okay. i'll work on it and see what we can do before the end of the show right okay well this actor was born in 1892 and he died in 1967 he was a South African-born British actor who rose as a Shakespearean stage actor and went on to appear in 70 Hollywood movies, primarily costume dramas, swashbucklers, and occasionally some horror films. That's all one clue? That's one clue. Born in what year was that? Uh, he was born in 1892. Yeah. Died in 1967. He was a South African-born British actor who rose to prominence as a Shakespearean stage actor and then went on to appear in more than 70 films, primarily costume dramas, swashbucklers, and occasionally horror films. 1967. Okay, cool. That, sheesh, that is... That's... This is someone who's quite famous. The clues will get a little little bit easier. (laughs) Okay, good good stuff, man. I'm just... You you got my head, like, going now at the moment. All right, cool. Thank you, Sean. That's the first clue. We will come back to get another three clues. But now, as usual, I made my way into a pet ward, Alveston, earlier today, where I bumped into Karen. Karen, who had just come out of an operation... Now, she was a total trooper, and thank you so much, Karen. And she actually spoke to us about early cinematic experiences. I mean, I didn't... The truth is that I, when I started speaking to her, I didn't even realize it. It was only afterwards that she mentioned that, oh, yeah, I've only just come back from an operation. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But thank you, Karen. You are absolutely trooper. And this is what Karen had to say about her early cinematic experiences. I'm, just, I'm still trying to think. First time I went to the cinema. Okay. We went on the Saturday shows as kids, but it was either Grease, probably, or um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That is, that's some pretty hefty movies right there. So do you remember who you went with or anything like that? Uh, just a couple of friends. Okay. Do you remember what age it was, where you were, like, you know, who, was it like a big thing? Or did, did you have a John Travolta thing at the time? Or? No, I was just probably about 11 or 12, just doing what kids do at that age. Cool. So Greece are third close encounters. Yeah. What do you remember about Greece now? When you think about when you think about Greece, what do you what do you think? 
I don't know. Okay. How about Close Encounters? Do you remember anything about Close Encounters? Or is there anything that sticks in your mind from that film? Um, the music of it, I suppose. The Same as we could. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that was, and as she mentioned, the music. So we tracked down some music from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But this surprised me. This was a music from Close Encounters of the Third Kind with a twist. Please do enjoy. Yes, and that was the theme from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was released on a, on a 45 vinyl. 12 inch? 12 inch 45 vinyl. Yeah, 12 inch 45 vinyl. I mean, I, I couldn't believe when I heard this. I was like, what, you mean John Williams succumbed to the disco fever? <laughs> yeah, it was a big rage around then. Like, disco was like, the disco was king. Saturday Night Fever and... Yeah. It was all round about that era. Uh, you were you were telling me that not only did he do this, he also did a disco version of the Star There's Wars. A Star Wars tune. disco version as well, yeah. <laughs> and it goes, and it's like that canteen a bit. That's all jazzed up, and then, and um, yeah, that's like a, a little riff in it <laughs> at the time. Oh my word! I'll see if I can dig them out sometime. Yeah, no, 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 oh my no! Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go look for this now because yeah. the truth is, I was just kind of like. I was like, whoa, wait, John Williams did a disco tune. And I, I just couldn't believe it. Because well, even, think- even there was a, a thing called a, f- the f- a Fifth of Beethoven, which yeah. was, you know, do, 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 but that was all. <laughs> oh, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that. It was all, they, they discoed everything. <laughs> <laughs> nothing was sacred. <laughs> the 70s, nothing's going to be What's that? Well, a classic movie. Yeah. Yeah, Just yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Karen. So, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. Actually, it was quite interesting because when we uh, we, we were talking the other day, we went to see a film recently called Midnight yep. Special. Yep. But yep. I, I yep. don't know if we we didn't talk about that, did we, on the, the extra? But Oh, no, no. That, that's We're talking about that today. That's today, right. Yeah. But really, really, this is, well, that's reminiscent. Uh, the film we saw is reminiscent of uh, yeah. Close Encounters, I think. But this was a great movie. When I first saw it, it was Star Wars and Close Encounters, and they came out at the same time. Now, of course, I love Star Wars. Close Encounters, the, the older generation. Oh, Close Encounters, what a great film. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Um, but I, at that time, I wasn't. But having seen it more recently and a couple of other times, it is a really, really good movie to watch. It's, it's a great movie. The mashed potato scene is, well, you know. Well, you see, now, this is the thing with Close Encounters, right? Because I remember when I first got into this whole film Buffy thing, and obviously you don't get far in film Buffy world before people start mentioning Steven Spielberg and just going Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg. So I went through a period of trying to track down his movies and actually watching Close Encounters. And sure enough, you watch something like E.T., which is his other alien movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's you watch E.T. and you think, oh yeah, great, awesome, great movie. I remember watching um, Close Encounters and maybe it was that I was, like, I was expecting something that was going to be more E.T. But Close Encounters is not, it's not like an adventure story. No. It's not an adventure story. It, it, I remember watching it and a feeling that it pretty much it's, it's, I'm watching a man slowly lose his mind. Yeah. 
and, and that seems to be the thing about it. So I remember watching it and not particularly liking yeah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But that theme, that do 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 do, even though I wasn't, I, I was like, if by that time when it comes on, and okay, for those of you who don't know the story of Close Encounters, it's essentially about aliens trying to make contact with humanity, and then a couple of people sort of pick up on these things and then just get these obsessions about going to this one place and going there and meeting these aliens and they just and it just becomes like all they can think about so even the main character i think his name is roy roy played yeah. by played by richard dreyfus he ends up like he ignores his wife he ignores his kids everything. he ignores everything his job obsessed everything I mean. he just becomes obsessed with this place he has to get to and he's like he you're talking about mashed potatoes and he just he sees this image in his head and he, when he's he's being given food he just takes mashed potatoes and starts making a sculpture out of this place that he has to get to and the whole film was, just seems to be about this obsession that he has and then he finds out that the government know about it and they've been intercepting these things from aliens and it's about them getting to that place and because they take his son don't they they take his son yeah. his son disappears and then he becomes obsessed with yeah, you know, almost like something saying you've, you've got to get to this place. I've actually been to the Devil's yeah. Tower. Oh, you've been to the Devil's yeah, Tower. Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of pictures of Devil's Tower. <laughs> yeah, because no, no, people sometimes think that it was actually made for the film, but it's actually a proper it's actually location. a proper place. Yeah, in it's Idaho. Proper... Yeah, northern Idaho. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite creepy. Yeah, the 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 Indians, or sorry, Native Americans, I should say, yeah. they they believe that it was a. They they've got another name for it, like a bear, because they think with the marks on it were. Oh yeah, you know, with the with so like it looks yeah, like claw marks. Claw yeah. marks. Yeah. So, but yeah, Devil's Tower. It's, it's it's quite an interesting little place. It's just there. It's just like <laughs> yeah, strange comes. So I suppose that's why they chose that location. Maybe. Well, yeah, but Spielberg had a very good location location guy. He did indeed. Yeah. But but I do, as I said, I do remember the, the also the fact that they had Francois Truffaut, who obviously is this massive, great, well known filmmaker yeah. that Spielberg absolutely loved, and he got him to actually act in this film and be like you know the main, the chief scientist guy. And so I watched there, and people were like, "Oh my God, Francis Truffaut, Francis Truffaut!" And I was like, "What? Who is this who's guy? This? Yeah. <laughs> why, why are we making a big deal about him?" So you go and you find out a little bit more, then realize, "Oh, this is like this big, massive director, like you know, in the history of cinema and all that kind of stuff." And yeah, but I do remember that scene being pretty much iconic. Once it, once I watched, it, I was like, "Okay, now that's a that's a really really good yeah, scene." Yeah, yeah. But the this the the story and the film itself, I. I think I have to go back and watch it because it might be a thing that you have to be older to get. Yeah, I think so. Because, I, th- I mean, as I say, at the time, I wasn't, when I saw it at the pictures, you know, everybody's going, I thought, Oof, it's not, I was probably much like you, you know. Yeah. And I was like, nah, not really my type of film. Although I did have the poster on my wall with Star Wars, so, which well, would be worth a lot now. <laughs> just remember it on the bedroom wall. Well, yeah, but the, I mean, the poster is classic. Yeah. The, the poster, I have to admit, is really, really good. Yeah, just like the, the road, you know. Yeah, the road. Yeah, mm. going off in the distance with like the just like three bits of writing. It's like you know the three kinds of encounters that you get. Yeah. Um, with... I, I, and the music, like you say, it's iconic because I the, the bit that always sticks in my mind is when they go, "If everything's ready on the dark side of the moon, play the five tones," and they go do 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 do, and it gradually speeds up. And then yeah. when the spaceship answers, goes <laughs> and everything just shatters. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, all the glass, all the <laughs> everything, all breaks. the windows shatter. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, there is one moment in the film that I think is really, really great. And it's the bit where he's driving along the road right at the beginning of the movie. And you know how, like, cars come up behind you and you see the headlights and then he, he tells oh, them yeah. to go around and, like, yeah. wave the car around, wave the car around. And then he's not really paying attention. And these lights come up behind him and he waves the car around. And instead of the car going around, the, the, they go, the lights go vertically, vertically up into the up, air. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking of... Uh, 
I love the fact that Spielberg is just a master of moments like that. Yeah. Where he, he just communicates everything about what's going on and just like and I think that was good. But yeah, I think I'm gonna have to track that down again. And the uh, but the other film that she's mentioned, Greece, other from Karen mentioned. <laughs> yeah, that's Greece is 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 a great fun movie. I think a couple of years ago I went with Sharon who's not here with us this week. Yeah. But, we went and did the Grease sing-along. Oh, yeah? The, yeah, with the, the, the cinema, you know. With the, the, with the, the words, words on the screen. Yeah, but we know what everyone knows all the words anyway, so you didn't really need the words. But, yeah, no, I mean, that is a really, really good, fun movie. Um, so, yeah, really, really popular. And as I say, at that time, I remember that. I remember Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. the disco scene. When um, John Travolta ruled the world. John Travolta ruled the world, indeed, <laughs> yeah. With yeah. all that. Yeah, there was. They did um, because I think Saturday Night Fever was so popular because originally it was an X film or an eighteen film. Yeah, and then they they edited, they it. recut it. Yeah, they recut it so they could. Yeah, because that's that's the thing with with both Greece and Saturday Night Fever. I mean, more with Saturday Night Fever because that's a lot grittier kind of yeah. like New York thing. Like, Greece is a bit bubblegum, but both of them they are a lot darker and they are a lot more grown up than people think than. Yeah, that people yeah, think definitely. that they are. So people think of Saturday Night Fever, and it's almost kind of like seen almost as, in a way, some sort of kiddies movie or some sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Some sort jolly, of popcorn jolly, jolly and it really isn't because it's. I mean, Saturday Night Fever is about people who go and dance every night because that's all they have in their lives. That's, it. that's all they have that they can. This is the only thing I can be good at. And that's the reason they keep dancing and keep dancing. Greece talks about things like abortion and child pregnancy and all. Yeah, and, yeah, it's quite. And, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, it deals with some real some issues. issues. Yeah, it does indeed. Yeah, <laughs> especially do. around about that time as well. Yeah, know, because for, yeah, because I mean, this was before like you know, AIDS was a big thing same. and everything like that. And it was so people used to say that the big thing was you know, a teenager getting pregnant. pregnant like, yeah, that was just thing. that was yeah. a massive. Oh my god, that's yeah. it. My life's over. Because now I can't, I can't do any of the things I wanted to do. Yeah, nobody will talk to me. Nobody, you know, yeah. nobody will hate me. But and and uh, yeah, and I think it's they're they're both kind of almost subversive in that everybody th- sees them as this lovely popcorn thing, but in there there's some real sort of issues to deal with, Indeed. real thorny issues to deal with. I've never seen Greece too. Um, but that, pff, no, oh, that's <laughs> all right then. Patozin's face says that all. I'm glad I haven't. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I think Greece too wasn't actually even so. I think it started off as another film, which they converted into Greece too because they wanted to like get money from it. Uh-huh. So let me put it this way: it's not, it's not what, it's not something Michelle Pfeiffer is going to be telling a whole bunch of people to go watch <laughs> of hers. It's, it's something she's probably going to try and hide. She's uh-huh. like, look, I was young and I needed the money, so I did Greece too. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's nothing to write home about. How, however, but 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 from Greece, Karen. We actually, you're, you're getting a special treatment today. We're getting, we're playing two songs, Wait. two songs from your choices. So from Greece, here's Summer Nights. Hey, I want to hear about what Danny did at the beach. Yeah, yeah that was nothing. Sure, nothing so good, come right? On, Danny, you got no drawers, right? Yeah. yeah. Come on, come on, tell us about that girl. What'd you do this summer, Sandy? Oh, I spent most of it at the beach. I met a boy there. Hold your cookies all the way to the beach for some guy. Well, he was sort of special. There ain't no such thing. He was really romantic. Oh, oh, come on. on, you don't want to hear all the horny details. Are you kidding me? I'll tell you. Summer loving had me a blast. Summer loving happened so fast. Summer dreams ripped out. 
Yes, you John Travolta, Olivia, Olivia Newton-John, and their cronies as Danny Zuko and Sandy, whatever her last Indeed, name was, yeah. in Greece. Greece. Thank yep. you very much for that, Karen. And now it is time for we have you music. Found the music. We found the music. Time for the second clue, Sean. What is it? Okay, the second clue. He was admired for his athletic cinema swordsmanship, and listed fencing as one of his favorite recreations. Okay. However. Okay. However, he only won one of his fencing fights in a movie. So that's put you off. Yeah, I knew you thought it was going to be... (laughs) On screen, he only won one fight. He only ever won one fight on on screen. screen. Yeah, even though he was a a master fencer. Died in 1967. Yeah. Master fencer, Australian... No, South African. South African. He was born South Africa, but he was British. Born South Africa, but British. Rubbish, I thought I knew who was. You, you were going to say, I know what everybody was thinking. I, uh, when I did that, first of all, everybody got, the, <laughs> oh, the people, I tried it on a couple of people, and uh, they said, oh, no, that is, that's your guy. And I said, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and then when I put that, however, it's... Um, okay, so he only ever won one of his fights on, on screen. screen. Yeah. I don't even want to fight. Do you want to know what that was? But he did a lot of str- he did a lot of fencing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was well. It was his favourite pastime. He, he claimed it was his favourite pastime. And he, he did a lot of it on screen. Yeah, did lots of it on screen. Okay, cool. You keep keep that keep that film in the box. I'm going to use that as my call of friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that as my call of friend. All right, thank you, George, for that. And now we go into this section of the show, which is called the hidden gem. In which we pick a film, in which we th- that we think, look, this is an amo- amazing film, awesome film, but not many people know it. Sean, you are picking a film this week. What is our hidden gem? Okay, our hidden gem. It's a 1965 film directed by John Sturgis. A lot of my films are John Sturgis. <laughs> um, it's called The Satan Bug. The Satan Bug. Okay, and now what we have here is that we have... We have the stuff from the Satan Bug trailer, which kind of explains what the film is about. And then we will, after, after playing this, we'll come back and we'll explain a little bit more about the film. And yeah, Sean, you can tell us what this, what's going on. Okay. I'm George Maharis, and this is the Satan Bug. It's kept in there, beyond those doors. But you can't get in. It's top secret. The Satan Bug is kept under the tightest security system ever devised. That door operates on a time lock. Open it one second before you should, and a thousand volts of electricity will greet you. Try to get over these electrified fences, and trained killer dogs will go after you. Try to get through that front gate. You can't. Unless your life's history is on file in that guardhouse. Yes, the Satan Bug is top secret. It's no secret, however, that I think the Satan Bug is one of the most suspenseful and exciting pictures I've ever seen. But don't take my word for it. You see it. Oh, my God. 
Okay, so okay, yeah. So let me just try and set the scene. While that's all playing, what you see is you see this man who walks in, and he's the George, George Maharis. Maris, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who he he shows up, and he shows up into this scientific lab. Laboratory, it's all yeah. like glass stuff, and like you know, well, well, airtight seals. And he comes up, and he and when he's talking to you, he's standing in this lab, and he brings out this conical flask, saying, "This is a Satan bug." And then the rest of the thing goes on. There's people shooting at people and all that kind of stuff. And and there's a bit in the trailer where it shows up and it says, from John Sturgis, the creator of, and then it goes to list the things he's done. And it says, the creator of Bad Day of Black Rock, Gunfighter, the OK Corral, <laughs> The Magnificent Seven, The Great Escape. So my big question, Sean, is why have I never heard of this film? <laughs> well, I think it may, maybe it was one of his earlier ones because... Um, I think his 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 direction. Wow, it's. It, the, I think some people think maybe it's a bit outdated now, but it's just full of full of. I, th- I think even films like the westerns, like Gunfight, the OK Corral, well, it's full of tense moments. He yeah. gets a lot of tension in his movies. Um, you know, especially the opening Gunfight. He says Gunfight, the OK Corral, well, a lot of tense moments in that. You know, and the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he picks his characters really well. The Great Escape, what a great epic movie! But there's still tense moments in that. Yeah, and I think he has this. Sturgis has this way of putting tense moments in in exactly the right places to make yeah. the film films what they are. So, so you, you reckon that that's so? This was kind of like his proving ground it's before proving he went ground, into the bigger think, things. Yeah, and and it's quite interesting because some some of the actors in this, George Morris and, and Richard Basar, they they did loads and loads of TV work after this. I mean, they they were practically they didn't do much in the way of movies. They 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 went into TV TV series and. I mean, Richard Basehart, he was the Admiral in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Have you ever seen that series? Nope. Oh, it's funny. Every <laughs> week, I suspect some people would recognise this because it was on TV all the time. Every week, it would... You know, like in Star Trek, where yeah, yeah, something yeah. happens and the, the ship goes and they oh, all yeah. run about from side to side. <laughs> they run from one side to the yeah. other side, yeah. So, so um, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was about a submarine, basically. It was Star Trek and under the water. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, back to the movie. Uh, this... Uh, uh, this movie, I, I saw it really young. I never never actually saw this at the cinema. I saw this on the TV. Yeah. And I think it was on quite late. And I thought, oh, i just watch it. And I really, it really gripped me, really got in there. And it, I, it seems like the kind of film where it's hard to talk about it without spoiling a lot. Yeah, really. I mean, well, you know, the plot, you can imagine. Because he's actually telling you where the Satan bug is, where it's kept. Yeah. That part's not in the movie at all. Okay. So he doesn't, you know, he's 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 the character. Basically, it's a, a germ warfare one and... Things yeah. happen, and the scene at the beginning is saying, "Oh, the time lock won't open." He goes, "You can't go in there now to see if it's still in there." A scientist yeah. is actually killed in the lab, and some scientists have disappeared. Yeah, and they want to know if the Satan bug's in there, so they're all out there. No, no, you can't go in. What happens if it's crashed? You know, you've only got to open a crack, and the whole the whole of the world would be finished. It would take the United States would be in a week, and you know Europe in a month and yeah. and then the whole world and you might only see an Eskimo in the Antarctic but eventually it would get to him you know so yeah. the Satan bug is like the it's like the, the worst the worst, yeah. the worst virus ever or something ever. like yeah, that yeah it's just a total uh, there's two viruses actually there's right. a, a what they call botulina so there's two and the other one is you can use it and it dissipates in the air after a while once it oxidises you know yeah. it's like a so that disappears but this the Satan bug it just uh, reproduces itself all the time it doesn't stop so is it like uh, so is the whole film them trying to figure out whether they should open this thing or not no they do get that open they do get it open he gets in a big suit yeah and, and he says he gives a guy a gun he says if when I go in the vault if I come out 
with my visor up shoot me you know shoot me <laughs> but don't open the door just open it a little bit they say it pressurized so you'll have to shoot me and then shut the door really quick otherwise the virus is going to escape all but right it appears that when they go in there he comes out and he's going to shoot with the vi- oh no 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 don't and it's been the virus has disappeared so it's been taken there this is it's gone. So, so, it, so is it like one of you know how they always talk about in Hitchcock movies? You have your MacGuffin, something that's there just as an excuse for all the action to happen. Yeah, really, so, basically. So yeah. the Satan bug is pretty just <laughs> pretty much just, just been stolen. Yeah, it's just so this MacGuffin. Built up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It is. It does exist. It does okay. exist. Sorry, it does exist. But it's it's been stolen by yeah. the scientists, and they said, "Well, how did it get through all this security?" And and George Morris is. A bit like a detective. He's he used to be special services. He doesn't like because they test him first of all. Yeah, because they 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 go they find him and he's in this jazz club. You know, jazz was really big. Boom, boom, yeah, 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 yeah. Jazz and he's in the jazz club and he gets a phone call. Oh, so and so wants to see you. And this guy says, "That this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this virus to Germany, and um, you know, I'm with the World Health thing, and we need this over there and that." And he goes, "Nah, you know, I'm not." You know, he goes, "I'll give you ten thousand." He goes, and then. Basically, it's a test to see if if he's if he's um, if genuine, he, if he's if he's got his integrity. Yeah. yeah, and then his general turns up and he goes, "What the hell are you doing here?" You know, oh, I needed to know. And yeah, it's like a bit of a detective story, so they have to find out what happened. But you know, when he goes there and he's like looking around the because it's a big base, it's a big yeah. base. They said about yeah. the barbed wire mm-hmm. and everything like this, and uh, they got dogs and everything else. But this dog had been. He, gets a dog and said oh this dog's been knocked over the head you know yeah he goes, well how the hell did they get through the wires and all that and it shows you i won't i won't say how oh, because okay. it, otherwise that'd be a bit of a spoiler but basically then it becomes a bit of a chase to try and find this the satan bug so, well the, the thing about it is that even in the trailer they you were talking about moments of tension because i quite like things where the the the, the conflict or the the issue is just very very obvious and it's just there straight away yeah. And I think even in the trailer, it says it's like, this is the bug. It is horrible. It is terrible. If you come in here, if you try and open up this door before it's supposed to happen, you will get shocked. And it already it already sort of like makes you think, oh, my God, all right, what is going on here? Why is this so important? What is this thing? What is it yeah, going yeah, to yeah. do? How can he? What? And it, it just brings that brings the, the whole drama to a head straight away. Like the conflict is in there, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it makes me want to go, well, I want to see what this Satan bug yeah, is now. Yeah. I want to, from the safety of my armchair, I want, I want to find out what this safety Satan bug is. So, so, but besides that, what, um, so you said the tension, you say like, you know, you said a little bit about the storyline and what would you say makes this like, you know, you think, oh, this is just such a good film. What, what makes this like, you know, a film that you say, you know, more people should go check this out. Well, I think it's, it's, I mean, if you like thriller movies, mm-hmm. there's, as I say, there's not tons of action. There's enough action in there. But if you, if you like a really, really good thriller movie, yeah, you know, it, 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 it sort of rings all the bells, you know, um, also, I, I really like that period. It's filmed in Palm Springs and Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. and I mean, I've been to some of those areas, so it probably, you know, I can. Although it was, I went a bit late. I could still recognise like the, the the mountains and the hills. And yeah, the the, the landscape. Yeah, and I quite like because they all wear all the, like the the government men or most of them, majority of them, nearly all the men wear fedora hats. Yeah, you know, in that sort of period, sixties time with the with the little suit and the black tie and the fedoras. You know, I, I really like fedoras. I don't know why. It reminds me, you know, Frank Sinatra wear them, or they did it, and you know, yeah, seem to there, be. A co- there, there are some shots that look like a Sean Connery Bond movie. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. he he's, he wears his fedora, doesn't he? Yeah. In his suit, and it, 
you. So, yeah, and of that period, of that that sort of time. And it's a good thrill. It stands the test time. You know, you get a lot of these um, movies like Outbreak and, and all these things. Mm-hmm. So it's... Yeah, because when you were describing stuff, I, I, the first thing that popped in my mind was Outbreak, the Dustin Hoffman movie. Yeah. I was I was thinking Outbreak. Yeah. Because that's, um, it's, you know, the sort of virus outbreak thing and how we're going to chase it down. And Outbreak is kind of like the more, it's on the more action-y end of the scale. Yeah. As opposed to something like uh, Contagion, which was released a couple of years ago, which is on the more thinky end of the scale. And the Satan bug seems to be kind of like, it seems like it's mainly thinky with some action. Yeah. It is mainly it's, thinky with some action. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's these. These are by the way, anybody who's listening, these are all technical film terms. Thinky. <laughs> this is a thinky <laughs> film. This is a thinky film. Make you thinky, <laughs> thinky dinky. But no, um, on about that outbreak. Actually, I I, I I quite like outbreak. I know it's going off a bit of a tangent, but outbreak. I like the. Is that the beginning where they go and actually firebomb? Is that, is that the film that starts off where there's like somewhere and they they just firebomb this. I actually can't remember to start with outbreak. I think I, I think, think the I film think starts, starts where you see there's all people waiting. Say, oh, the helicopters come in, the helicopters and come they and firebomb like a village oh, in, in some African country. Some African country in some made-up yeah. African country. Yeah. That's a good movie, actually. Yeah. Outbreak is a. Movie. I really like outbreak. Yeah. I really like. It's one of these things. Like, okay, well, in the next section, we will be talking about a film that. It's one of those things that I want to go revisit and see whether it's as good as I remember. remember yeah. But uh, because there's something like that coming over the next section. But before we get to the next section. It is time for our third clue. Okay. Okay, Sean. Okay, here we go. Oh, I'm on, am I? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> this, this, as I say, he generally played um, ambiguous crowd. Yeah, he was... What can I say? I've lost the, lost the question there somewhere. Okay, let's put it this way. This is another one. Uh... Margaret Mitchell said that this would be her first choice to play Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind. Uh, so that, that that's really thrown it, isn't it? Really, Margaret so. Mitchell. No, I've I've heard this before. Oh, good lord, I've heard this before. You have, yeah. I have totally that this would be her first choice because Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind, said this would have been her choice to play Red Butler as opposed to uh, in instead of Clark Gable. Well, I don't know if instead of it's only this is only what what said whether it's yeah. true or not. They don't know. It's one of those. Uh, oh, I'm gonna have to wait for the final. I'm I'm gonna kick myself when I hear this because I know I know this. <laughs> I know I know this. I just cannot pick it out right I- now. I cannot pick it out right now. Okay, was that the third clue? That was the third clue. Okay. We have one more. We have one more coming up what? after. Have we just one more, is there? Yeah, just one more. Just one more. Okay. Just one more coming oh. up after our exception to the rule. So, the exception to the rule. This is... Uh, exception to the rule is, is a section of the show where we talk about a film that was made after 1980. Our rule is they don't make them like they used to. We talk about a film made after 1980 that we say, hang on a second, this film is worth checking out because it could stand alongside some of the other films. Now, this is a film that I don't think many people know about. It's a Dudley Moore movie. It stars Dudley Moore, and it's called Crazy People. It stars Dudley Moore and Daryl Hannah. And I remember watching this film uh, as round about, like, you know, when I was about 15 or something like that, and thinking it was hilarious. It was the first time I was ever exposed to any kind of satire or anything like that. And I was talking about going going back and watching the film and seeing whether it's as good as I remember it being. Because this film, I actually checked it up when I was uh, 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 
coming up and just see what the reception was. And apparently it only has like a 33% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is weird because I'm like, I thought it was, this film was, okay, I'll give you the basic idea of what the film was about. This film stars Dudley Moore and he's an advertising executive. And he essentially pretty much, his, his, like, his wife leaves him and all that. And he has a, a, what everybody thinks is a mental breakdown where he decides, what am I doing here? I'm writing all these lies to get people to buy stuff that they don't need. So he decides, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to start writing the truth. So he starts writing all these adverts that just sort of like tell the truth about the product. And it's things like um, he, he, has, uh, he has one for Volvo. And, he just, and the, the advert for Volvo that he writes is, Volvo, they're boxy but they're good. <laughs> and he has and he has all these things. Some of them are a bit too rude to say, but but he just said, there's one about Jaguars that I think is hilarious. And he writes all these things and when he presents this to his bosses, they're like, what? No, we can't give this to the clients. So they take him to a, they, they, they put him away in a sort of like a psychiatric unit just to sort of get better and all that. In the meantime, they, they mistakenly take his act, take the adverts where he's telling the truth and they put them up and they put them up in Times Square and they put them up in magazines and everything like that. And they're thinking, oh my God, this has ruined us. This has ruined us as a firm. But it turns out that people actually love these adverts that tell the truth. And so they love these adverts that tell the truth. They're not trying to sort of like, you know, sell them anything, but just trying to say, this is what we, th- this is actually what I want to know. So all of a sudden, all of the products that he wrote adverts for, the sales go through the roof. And they, then they think, oh my God, who wrote all these? Where is he? Oh, we locked him away. In, we locked him away in a psychiatric unit. We need to get him back. We need to get him back. And he, but he ends up meeting people in the, and that's why the film is called Crazy People. He ends up meeting people in the psychiatric unit thinking, oh my God, these people are great. I want to hang out with these people. I want to stay here a while because this is the most truth I've ever had in my life. And including Daryl Hannah, who he ends up being like, you know, the sort of love interest. And he, so he ends up, what? No, well, no, no, it's good. Carry on. Carry yeah, so like, yeah, he he ends up he ends up there in the in in this unit with with all these people, and then they all start coming up with all these true things, and they start giving all these things that the that the advertising agency starts using, and they find that whenever they use one of the adverts that's come out of this unit at the hospital, there's just loads and loads of sales, and all the people are loving them, and all that kind of stuff, and the whole movie builds. So in the end, he he decides that he wants to go set up his own thing. But the the advertising agency are like, no, we can't let him go. We can't let them go anywhere. We need to have them here. We need to we need to more or less keep them as and they're trying to sign them up to contracts that pretty much make them slaves to the advertising agency. Because there's a whole thing about how everybody in the advertising agency they've been lying for so long that they no longer know how to tell the truth. So they sat down together and they're like, okay, everybody, here's a new product. Say something true about this product. And they can't actually say anything true about the product. And they need all these people who are who have not been have not spent a lifetime lying to actually come and tell them something that's true about this that's going to get people to buy these these things and i personally think it's a i think it's really really funny i think it's and it ends up because the whole thing builds towards this sony ad they're trying to win a, a contract with sony to do a new sony ad to be shown in america and honestly the the ad that they show at the end i think if you can sean if you can go on YouTube afterwards and try and find just type in crazy people Sony adverts. Crazy people Sony advert. Crazy yeah. people Sony advert because they they pretty much make an advert for Sony right at the end of the film, which I just thought was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious, and I was like, if they had used that as a real advert on TV, it would have just it would have blown things. It would have been really? so good. It would have been so good because what it's a whole thing. They talk about why it is that. 
why Sony is better than any American electronics company. Really? Yeah, they go they go over this. Let, let me put it this way, right? You, you got to watch the whole thing. But the tagline that they have is Sony, because Caucasians are too damn tall. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Seriously, oh, wow. And this, and they this, got away with that. that yes. Yeah? This, this is the kind of things that they have throughout the film. Where they they have they they have all these taglines. They have one for the Bahamas, which is. They have a tagline for the Bahamas, which is rude, but it's hilarious. They have one for Jaguar, which, again, is rude, but hilarious. But they just keep coming up with all these different slogans for all these things where they're like, we're telling the truth. This is what, if people want to go to the Bahamas, this is what they really want to know. They don't want to know about the beaches. They don't want to know about the sunsets. They want to know about... I will leave that for you guys to okay, go find Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. But, but I, and I think it's... For me, it was one of the most accessible Dudley Moore movies because at that age, I mean, I know everybody talks about Arthur being like a really great Dudley Moore movie. And I watched Arthur, but at the age I was, I just couldn't get what was going on. I couldn't get why it was funny. I couldn't get anything like that. But I have, I've got a confession to make here. Yeah. I haven't really seen, I haven't seen Arthur. Yeah, but the thing, um, I have, I I've seen, seen the remake with um, <laughs> the Russell, guy with the beard, Russell Brand. Yeah. I've, I've not seen the original. Well, the, I, I haven't seen it all the way through because I've, each time I tried watching it, I just couldn't get, get there. what was what was funny about this. But this crazy people with Dudley Moore, I just I just think it's great. I think it's clever. I think the satire is really really good. It's got Daryl Hannah, Paul Reiser in it, and it's and um, we're gonna play something. Also, it has it has these sort of people in the, the film that ended up becoming bigger. Or I'll say bigger, but they, I'll say they became well known usually maybe in TV or something like that or in a film later. They're the kind of people who would show up in a film and you'd be like, oh, I know that guy, I know that guy, I know that guy. And one of them is David Paymer, who's known, he's been in The Good Wife and he's been in all sorts of stuff. He just keeps showing up again and again in films. And he plays one of the inmates in this psychiatric unit. And uh, this is a song that he sings in the film, which is just kind of like, you know, he's playing around with his friend and he ends up coming up with this thing. But I think it's just nice. It's sweet. It tells you a little bit about the kind of vibe that the film goes for. So from Crazy People, this is David Paymer singing Hello. Oh, it's called The Hello Song. be nearer but when you hear the hello song it's dearer hello 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 what a wonderful word hello yes david paymer with the hello song and it tells you just kind of the sort of innocence of the people who are in this unit so i would recommend finding it i don't i think i have to go back and watch it again because i really enjoyed the film i thought it was hilarious it was the first bit of satire i'd seen that and um yeah and i don't know why it only has 33 percent on rotten tomatoes because i thought the film was definitely better than that Uh but anyway we'll see and here we have our final clue our final clue to a screen legend this evening okay this actor frequently portrayed suave villains or morally ambiguous characters but most famous 
was he made 14 Hollywood films between 1939 and 1946. So that was in a, like in a series. It was a heroic role, although he was although he was played suave villains and morally dubious characters. He was his fa- he most famous for, however, was sort of a heroic role, and he made 14 movies between 1939 and 1946. So wait, did he make 14 movies as the, the same, same character? character? Yes. Same character in, in, in 14 movies, yep. South African born, died in 1967. So it can be Errol Flynn. No, it's not Errol Flynn. It's not Errol no. Flynn because he was straight up Australian. No, yeah, he was like 1950. Yeah, so, was, yeah, so... But there's a, there's a clue there. Errol Flynn is a clue there. He, he might have had a couple of fights with Errol Flynn perhaps no well the thing is the thing is I remember the, I know when you say about Margaret Mitchell and this was like her first choice to play Red Butler allegedly I, allegedly allegedly but I, I know that story I just cannot remember who the person is I'm thinking because I think it, no it's not Christopher it's, Lee he died no. recently and he wasn't uh, it's not Douglas Fairbanks no not no du- not Douglas Fairbanks good shot good he, shot um would so he he fought the final duel. Was in the Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Uh-huh. Fantastic sword fight scene. Uh-huh. He played Guy of Gisborne. Is there any any more clues? No, no. It should be. It should be, but it isn't. It should be. What was the thing that you were going to say about his the the one sword fight that he won? Oh, it was that was in he played Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet ah. in about 1936. So that probably won't help much. But mm. I'm sure a lot of sure a lot of the listeners out there would probably know by now. Stuart Granger? No, not Stuart Granger. Good one. Uh, famous, think famous detective. Basil Rathbone. Basil Rathbone. Oh, Basil Rathbone. Rathbone. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, good lord! Oh man, I can't believe that it took me that long. Oh my word! You pretty, you pretty much gave me that on a plate, man. Wow. Why? Well, thank you, thank you so much for that. <laughs> thank you, Sean. Well, if you're listening, I hope that you actually managed to get that, and you managed to figure that out without getting on Google, <laughs> and with, <laughs> without getting on Google, without sort of like you know, um, cheating pretty much. And I hope you had just as much as I had here to actually help you figure it out. Marvelous. All right, but anyway, we're out of time here. So until next time, we just want to say, get well soon. Get out of the hospital, listen to your doctors, and remember that as always, they, they don't, don't make, make them, them like, like they, they used, used to. Call a hospital when you get home and ask for Lorraine at the Friends of St. Mary's. It's fun. It's friendly.